Welcome to the Modern Art Notes Podcast. I'm Tyler Green. It's the second holiday week of the season, so we have a holiday clips episode for you. It features curator and author H. Daniel Peck talking about his exhibition, Thomas Cole's Refrain, the paintings of Catskill Creek. It's now on view at the Hudson River Museum in Yonkers, New York. The exhibition considers Cole's paintings of Catskill Creek, a 46-mile-long river, actually, that drains part of the Catskill Mountains and enters the Hudson River just below the town of Catskill. The exhibition includes 12 Thomas Coles and paintings of Catskill Creek by artists who followed Cole, including Asher B. Durand and Frederick Edwin Church. The exhibition originated at the Thomas Cole National Historic Site in Catskill, New York. Peck and I talked back in July when the show was there. It's on view at the Hudson River Museum through February 23, 2020. Peck is also the author of an excellent accompanying book, also titled Thomas Cole's Refrain. The book was published by Cornell University Press's Three Hills imprint. Amazon offers it for $32. We'll have a link on manpodcast.com. Daniel Peck, after the break. The Hammer Museum in Los Angeles presents Larry Pittman Declaration of Independence, the most comprehensive retrospective to date of the work of the prolific painter. Organized by Hammer Chief Curator Connie Butler, the exhibition features nearly 80 paintings and 50 works on paper spanning Pittman's entire career. A selection of Pittman's drawings will comprise Orangerie, a standalone installation providing an intimate space for viewing Pittman's works on paper. Larry Pittman, Declaration of Independence, is on view September 29th, 2019, through January 5th, 2020. Details at hammer.ucla.edu. This fall, for its 30th anniversary, the Wexner Center for the Arts at The Ohio State University presents a union of three internationally acclaimed artists, all originally from Ohio and exhibiting together for the first time. Here, Anne Hamilton, Jenny Holzer, Maya Lin explores ideas of place, time, language, and perception through world premiere and site-specific works in the WEX galleries. Additional off-site components activate spaces at Ohio State and around the city of Columbus. Here is on view through December 29th. For more information, go to wexarts.org. 19th century Gothic literature meets San Francisco film noir in Alexander Singh, A Gothic Tale, opening this Saturday at the Legion of Honor Museum. Known for playful artworks that challenge traditional storytelling, Alexander Singh explores the motif of the doppelganger through a fantastical, thrilling short film presented alongside a selection of prints, sculptures, and paintings from the museum's collection. Mirrored walls inside the exhibition create a visually striking space from which to contemplate the doppelganger motif. Catch a glimpse of your doppelganger in Alexander Singh, A Gothic Tale, opening this Saturday at San Francisco's Legion of Honor Museum. Visit legionofhonor.org for details. In Recording Artists, a new Getty podcast series, art historian Helen Molesworth explores the lives and work of six women artists. Alice Neal, Lee Krasner, Betty Saar, Helen Frankenthaler, Yoko Ono, and Ava Hesse. In the episode focused on Ava Hesse, Molesworth is joined by artist Mary Weatherford and art historian Darby English. And in a rare 1970 recording made shortly before her death, Hesse discusses the trajectory of her practice, her distinctive materials, and the meaning of art and life. Binge the entire series now at getty.edu slash recordingartists. And we're back. Dan Peck, welcome to the Modern Art Notes podcast. Thank you, Tyler. 
Let's start with the geography that's in the title, Catskill Creek. What is Catskill Creek? Where is it? And why was it so important to Thomas Cole? Well, Catskill Creek isn't really a creek. <laughs> it's, it's so strange about the uh, place names of various bodies of water in the, in the Northeast. Walden Pond isn't a pond. It's a, quite a large lake. And Catskill Creek is actually a middle-sized river. It's a significant tributary of the Hudson River that uh, runs out of the Catskill Mountains and into the Hudson at uh, Catskill, New York. Catskill, New York is where Cole relocated himself from urban New York in 1836. And there's a whole story, of course, in that as well about why he did that and when he did that and what was going on around him in that in that period. In any case, uh, Cole first visited this area and, and must have seen Catskill Creek in 1825 when he made his, his legendary first expedition into the Hudson River Valley. On his return trip from Albany and Cohoas Falls area, he came downriver and stopped in Catskills and headed straight up into the Catskill Mountains about 11 miles away. And that's what he was really interested in. The Catskills were already a tourist area, and uh, he'd heard about them and was very excited about them and went up into the mountains and painted Catterskill Falls and other what he called wild scenes and then made paintings uh, from them once he got back to New York. And these are the so-called wilderness paintings that really first captured the attention of, of the American art world. In my book, I talk about how it's possible he must have walked right through this landscape of Catskill Creek, right by it. But I found a sketch in the um, Detroit archive that suggests that maybe he didn't really take much note of the scene from which he would later paint these pictures of the Catskills from a position uh, right along Catskill Creek, two or three close-by locations. The, the sketch is interesting. It's, it, there's a couple of observations on it. One of them says, Creek turns around to the left here. And I observe that this is an extremely basic observation. And so in, in the sketch must be dated 1827 because that's when Cole's first Catskill Creek painting is completed probably in the fall of that year. So I think it's a scene Cole might have missed. There's a very large meander at this point just outside the village of Catskill. As Cole looked out toward the so-called Catskill front or escarpment, you know, what he saw were these high peaks of the Catskills, not like your California mountains, but... In the mid-threes, though, in the mid-3,000 feet. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Catterskill High Peak is a, is, a, is a big mountain. Its neighboring round top is also. And so Cole is looking off toward the mountains from this site and he begins to uh, paint them in 1827. And then what I observe in the book is what's so interesting about this for me is that he just keeps painting it. And Cole was, a, was an artist who really did not like to repeat himself. He, he was very restless about that. And when his early patrons, for example, would ask him to make a copy of a work for someone else, he really resisted doing that and thought it was drudgery. So the fact that he continued to paint this scene, it's basically the same scene with variations of perspective. And he paints it during all three decades of his mature career and paints it right up until about three years before he dies, his early death. Catskill Creek, which is, um, you might say, a modest stream in his essay on American scenery where he names other American rivers very prominently. We don't find Catskill Creek except perhaps in an indirect way where he speaks of this beautiful stream flowing by. In any case, Catskill Creek was, 
I think, very, very important for, for coal for all kinds of reasons. You mentioned that it's slightly more prominent than a creek. It's, it's 46 miles long. At least today, it's 46 miles long. You mentioned the Detroit drawing um, in about 1827. When does Cole start making paintings along the creek, and why do you think that's when he starts? Well, the first, uh, the first picture that we have of Catskill Creek is dated 1827. It's a very beautiful work that's in the De Young Museum in San Francisco. It's called A View Near the Village of Catskill. This is the first oil painting of, of the scene. And in my research in Detroit, I, I discovered what has to be the sketch for that particular painting. He goes on in the very next year to paint the scene again. It's in a very similar composition, except whereas the de Young painting from 1827 is a spring or summer scene. And the one that came next, which he completed over the over the period 1828 and 29, is, is autumnal, beautifully autumnal. And it has a very similar title, View Near Catskill. And it's in a private collection, and uh, we have it in our in our exhibition. It's a it's a gorgeous work and very similar in composition. One theory I have about it is that it's just possible that Cole was already then thinking of some kind of progression, maybe a seasonal progression in this case. Cole made a list in 1827, the same year he began painting Cat, uh, Catskill Creek in a sketchbook, a list of subjects for pictures, as he called it. And among these 122 ideas, as he called them, for pictures, several of them speak of of, of painting the same scene at different times of year and at, from different viewpoints and so on. So I think Cole was very interested in this idea from the start. We'll have images of all of these paintings and, and the Detroit sketches on manpodcast.com. You note that Cole paints Catskill Creek a good bit, but he almost never paints it kind of as a long flowing creek. The, the, often in his paintings, it looks more like a standing body of water or a, or, a, or a lake or a pond, which is kind of an interesting juxtaposition. What, what, what do you think accounts for it? Well, uh, yeah, it's fascinating to me. The first two paintings, the ones we were just talking about, Tyler, he really is painting the the river as a kind of lake or pond. In fact, the river at that point is is about 200 feet across. Uh, it, you know, it, it's a, it's a really a modest, not a modest river. It's a, it's a middle sized river and a significant one, and a significant tributary of the, of the Hudson River for sure. Just why Cole's first take on this scene leads him to paint it in in that way, I think. I mean, this brings me right back to that uh, sketch for the 1827 painting. In the sketch, there's no mistaking that it's a river. And and furthermore, that the boundary line of the river, the bank of the river, is clearly the further turn of a wide meander. Uh, if, If you, once you see the you know, the actual topography in this large point bar carved out by this large meander, you can see clearly that what the scene that Cole is representing there is the farther turn of of a large meander. In the painting, that disappears. It fades away. And instead, we get what looks very much like a lake. I mean, you know, in, in Cole's later, in Cole's essay on American scenery, where he categorizes American elements of landscape and compares the with their counterparts in Europe, he says that lakes are a very special feature of American landscape. There's really nothing quite like them in Europe. And so I think it's possible that from the start, he was taking note of of this. And and so maybe, also interestingly, the second of these Catskill Creek paintings that I just mentioned, uh, the one called View Near Catskill, that's in a private collection, is a beautifully autumnal scene with American red maples and just glowing, you know, a fire as they say, 
this work actually turns out was, was commissioned by a, a Hudson Valley patroon, Stephen Van Rensselaer III, and his wife. And they had earlier commissioned and gotten from Cole a painting of, of Lake Winnipesaukee. In the White Mountains. Yes, in the White Mountains. And it's conceivable that Cole was imagining this as a pendant. I, I mean, he clearly was providing it to Van, to Van Rensselaer III as a companion work of some kind to the work that they already had purchased of a lake. And so it, it's possible that he's thinking that that's in this as well. Although, again, the, the painting created the year before, 1827, also has this very lake-like or pond-like aspect to it. It isn't until the 1830s when Cole comes back from his first European tour that he begins to give definition to Catskill Creek as a, as a river. That's an interesting point, because one of the things you note in the book is that Cole begins exploring the Trans-Hudson West, if you will you know, the, the the going west along the creek up into the Catskills at almost the exact moment the Erie Canal opens. The Erie Canal opens in, in, in 1825. Do you think that's a direct, even intentional connection Cole made and intended us to, to, to put the dots together? Or is that a coincidence or dot, dot, dot? Well, in the book, I do talk about the Erie Canal just a little bit. You know, that when Cole made his legendary first sketching expedition up into the uh, the Hudson River Valley and of eventually made his way up into the high peaks of the Catskills. Along the way, he was very close to an operating Erie Canal. The easternmost leg of the Erie Canal between Albany and Rome, New York, was actually opened in 1823. So when Cole makes his, his expedition in the summer of 1825, with the canal to have its grand opening uh, only a few weeks later in New York in 1825, Cole has, has already probably taken a steamboat right alongside the Erie Canal, an operating canal. On that journey, Cole made a list of 22 sketches that he made during this journey. And uh, it's fascinating. The, the, the list, uh, the entries on the list are not dated, but they are sequential. So we know the order in which Cole was at each of these places. He begins at West Point. He's interested in the ruins at Fort Putnam. Then he's upriver at Troy and look, taking a view of the Hudson River and sketching that. Then he's at Cohoas Falls. He makes a number of sketches there of, of the Great Falls there and then heads back down to but, – but in that period, he, he was right next to the Erie Canal. And in fact, when he was at Cohoas Fall, because in one sketch he identifies exactly where he was standing on a cliff, we know that he was standing right on top of the Erie Canal. Literally, it was right at his feet, and yet none of these sketches – is a sketch of the Erie Canal. And I don't want to make too much of that. It's very, very speculative, but I do think it's interesting because the canal was already known as the wonder work of the age. And there's no way that Cole could have missed it. And in the book, I do, this is where I take a lesson from the Metropolitan Show, where they make a, a very important point about how Cole's growing up in industrial Northern England might have been might have predisposed him against an industrial canal in certain ways. Again, it's it's speculative. So, again, you're asking a different kind of question. The Erie Canal provides a way west for the United States, of course. It opens the way west for, for, for settlement, for, for commerce, for transport. It brings the cost of shipping down tenfold. It turns New York City into the, great, the greatest port of the United States that has all kinds of implications that have to do with the west, for sure. 
So we've been talking about the 1820s, and you note in the book that the Catskill Creek paintings, quote, become the most sustained sequence of landscapes Cole ever produced, and that he makes Catskill Creek paintings in the 1820s, in the 1830s, in the 1840s. So let's push into the 1830s a bit. How does the way he shows the creek change as as we get toward the Oxbow and into the 1830s? What's happening now is Cole has departed for his first European tour in the spring of 1829. The last part of his travels in Europe are in Italy, which he loved. And he comes back home because there's a cholera threat in New York and he's worried about his uh, parents. He returns to New York in November of 1832, in the very moment when the votes that will re-elect Andrew Jackson are being counted. And so this is obviously a very different America than the one he had left three and a half years earlier. These Catskill Creek paintings that begins to complete in the 1830s, very soon after his return from Europe, are, are, are different. They're different in several different ways. For one thing, they do show what you might call a European influence, these sunsets that become more luminous are obviously indebted partly to Claude Lorraine and other painters, great painters. And Cole saw a lot of not just great art in, in, in Europe, but also you know, great scenery as well. And in his essay on American scenery, he talks about Italian sunsets and how utterly magnificent they are. So I think Cole is bringing back from Europe both Italian scenery and European art, and they definitely inform these works that he begins to paint in the 1830s. The very first one, by the way, uh, is one of the first paintings that he sells to his the person who would become his most important patron, Lumen Reed. There's, there are lots of interesting things to say about patronage in Cole, of course. I mentioned Stephen Van Rensselaer III as having been the purchaser of Cole's second Catskill Creek painting in 1829. He was a patroon, an aristocrat. Lumen Reed is a dry goods merchant, and uh, we can see how, how New York economic culture and artistic culture is changing and has changed while Cole's been away. In any case, this work, it's called Sunset View on the Catskill, one, at least one of the very first works he sells to Reed, and then in that very same year, 1833, as this painting was completed, Reed commissions The Course of Empire, which gets completed three years later. So there's all kinds of interesting exchanges going on here. The second one is, is a very interesting work, and it is actually Cole's own replica of the work he sold to Reed. And for a painter who couldn't stand to repeat himself and who really resisted doing that, it's fascinating that Cole did make such an exact copy of this work. It was found in his studio upon his death and it may never have been sold. One one person uh, speculates that he may have loved the scene so much that he wanted to have one for himself. That's possible. It's a lovely idea. I think a more likely uh, reason is that he he was imagining an important commission down the road, and he wanted, for some reason or other, to have a very, very cop careful copy that he could work from. And sure enough, five years later, in 1838, he does create this much larger, very beautiful painting that's in the Yale Art Gallery and uh, has a curiously mistitled <laughs> title, North Mountain and Catskill Creek. And we can, we can talk about that a little if you want to. The, these paintings are the identical scene. Now Cole has moved from uh, the Heights, from an area called Jefferson Heights, from which he painted the first two panoramic views of the Catskills in the 1820s. Now he's right down at the riverside. 
And some people might argue that he learned this Riverside perspective from his reading of the English aesthetician William Gilpin, who talked about riversides as being the ideal place to capture what he called a picturesque vision of, of nature. So now Cole's down by the riverside, looking upriver. If you don't mind my telling this anecdote about the title of the Yale painting, when I first went over to New Haven to examine it in the first times I did that, I noticed the title, and, and then later I traveled throughout the, the region of these paintings with a geologist, and then later a cartographer. It became clear to me that North Mountain is nowhere in that painting. And so I think some people might have, might have argued that Cole was simply painting uh, North Mountain badly. But one of the points I make about these paintings, Tyler, is I, it's, it's a point I really want to emphasize, is that I think that, that while... Cole takes great liberties with this Catskill Creek landscape among his his American landscapes. It's it's remarkably faithful to to what he saw. Now, there are all kinds of fanciful things in them, as there are in all of Cole's American landscapes. Nevertheless, I think there was something about his response to this landscape that made him unusually uh, faithful to it. You know, there's that famous uh, remark he made to his patron, uh, Gilmore, that, you know, Gilmore was urging him to to stick to nature, to really be faithful to nature's forms. And, you know, he writes back and says uh, that would be like a kind of tyranny, <laughs> the shackles of the imagination. And Colham wanted him nothing to do with that idea. But nevertheless, I think one of the things that distinguishes this, these 10 Catskill Creek paintings, as, as I have identified them, and this is a very good example, North Mountain and Catskill Creek, it's not North Mountain. It's actually a very careful study of Blackhead Mountain. And, and there it is. And once you know that's what it is, then you see it right away. So in any case, there is this very beautiful painting that uh, Cole paints in 1830 or completes in 1838 and it's lovely and also within these works he, he's got these interesting human figures and we can talk about them more maybe later in the discussion if you want to because small interesting human figures appear in all the Catskill Creek paintings so maybe for now I, I would just say that there's this I would call it a subset of these works that all take exactly the same view of Catskill Creek from a riverside perspective just outside the village of Catskill. We can move on to the one other painting that Cole completed during the 1830s, which takes a very different view, again, an elevated panoramic view, and this is that great painting, A View on the Catskill Early Autumn, that's at the Metropolitan Museum, if, if, if you would like to, to, to go in that direction. Yeah, and it has the most different, maybe, human interaction in, in the lower foreground, in the central foreground, I mean. It's it's not only a panorama in a way that the other Catskill Creek paintings aren't, but the action, the human action is more active. It certainly is. You know, it's it's so interesting to me. This is the largest of the Catskill Creek paintings by far. It's, what, 38 by 60 inches or something. It, it clearly was, was painted for... Ec- you know, major exhibition purposes. Cole was commissioned by Jonathan Sturgis, who was actually Reed's business partner. This is after Reed had died, and Cole felt very tragic about uh, Reed's death and then came to know Sturgis. And so it's a fascinating painting, and there's all kinds of things to say about it here. One, one thing is that here, this is completed in, in 1836-37, and here Cole returns to the panoramic view. He's back up on Jefferson Heights, which is this elevated area outside, about half a mile outside Catskill Village. And he's looking at that same view. He's looking southwesterly toward Catterskill High Peak again and Round Top Mountain and uh, South Mountain superimposed on them. 
So he's returning to that view, but now he's really very carefully delineating it in those early 1820s works of the same scene. Uh, just as the river doesn't look like a river, it's much more generalized as a body of water. The same thing is true of, of the geography, of overall of, of the scene. So now Cole is really uh, carefully delineating the point bar, you know, this this rounded... One of the things I say at the very end of the book in my epigraph or epilogue is that a point bar is an oxbow in the making. And, you know, Cole completed this work, this view of Catskill Creek, in the same period that he completed the Oxbow. And I have to believe that his painting Catskill Creek for a decade before he painted the Oxbow, that there is some connection there between his living and, and, and so often seeing this large meander at Catskill Creek. And as you know, Cole was so interested in geology and surely would have known that that, that an, a, a point bar, it's a process of sedimentation, that it, without human intervention, a point bar will become an Oxbow, just like at the one at Mount Holyoke with the Connecticut River. So in any case, the landscape is now much more closely delineated. And then getting around to your important point about the human figures, there are a number of them, and they've some of them are appearing in earlier of the 1830s paintings. What you have is on the right side, you have a hunter coming up out of the valley. It's along the right, uh, the right side of the painting, and he's coming up along a slatted fence. And, and he's up near the top and looks across the fence. And the fence is downed at that point, and he looks across the downed area of the fence over to Meadow, where there are a, a woman and, and a baby, an infant, on a blanket. And then down in the valley on the point bar, you know, down there on, in the meadow on the point bar, there's a, a young man running after these two horses. One is white, one is brown. For the viewer, those the man and the horses are sharply divided off by a Claudian framing tree. He's absolutely <laughs> bounded off from them for us as viewers, just as the hunter is in some ways bounded off from the woman and the infant by a fence. In other words, he's fenced in as well. And then in the distance, there's a rower rounding the big bend in the distance. And a rower had appeared uh, in, in the three earlier Catskill Creek paintings. And I do attribute significant meaning to these to these figures, including the rower. The rower can be, of course, a stock figure in 19th century American painting. It also can be used as staffage to, to render scale. But uh, my argument about the human figures in these Catskill Creek paintings is that they're very important. Uh, they're, they're what I call emblematic. And, and I do make a distinction between symbolic and emblematic in this way. In any case, there's a million things for me to say about these figures. The, the, these figures in this painting were, were re, has, have always been regarded, this is maybe overstating it a little bit, but I think it's largely true, as merely decorative, as somehow blending into a beautiful landscape harmoniously. That's the word that's been used over and over again. And it's a view of this very important work. I mean, you know, for the Metropolitan Museum, this painting is certainly one of their most important American landscapes, no question about it. So it's a hugely important artwork. And, and, and again, these figures who, they're little, but they're not tiny. I mean, they're doing things and they're doing things that inevitably draw viewers to wonder what it is they're doing. Way back in the 1950s, this is what I discovered in sort of tracking the art history of this painting is that there was an art historian during the 1950s who, whose special area of expertise was Cole's Italian landscapes. 
And, and, and those are the works that he thought were by far the most important. And he regarded this painting as be, being very much like Cole's Italian landscapes, mellow, harmonious, all those things. And so I think it goes all the way back to the 1950s, this painting being regarded that way and these figures sort of sort of blending in. And for me, they don't blend in. I think the separations between them between the mother and the baby, each reaching out toward one another, the hunter and the woman and child separated by a long distance, the runner running after the horses who are separated from him. I find in all these paintings, these kinds of separations, which I think are very symbolic of something in Cole that has to do with distancing and separation. So, you know, I'm, I'm saying, <laughs> I'm saying more, more there than I meant to say, but I do work it out in the book. And I, I think my take on this painting is a is is very different from earlier versions of it. Yeah, the composition in the trees is super Claudian, but but the action of the people is not. And and the way the people extend and their action extends into the middle ground of the painting instead of kind of being on a stage set in the foreground is is really different too. There's also kind of a youthful optimism in in the painting at the Met. And by the 1840s, the paintings of and around Catskill Creek feel really different. How so? Yes, the 1840s, I mean, it's a, each of these decades. You know, my, the, the argument in my book is that is these 10 paintings, these works that I've identified as 10 paintings of Catskill Creek. And it's just, just to say this, it's slightly arbitrary because Cole made other paintings of, near and, and and not far from Catskill Creek. But the 10 that I'm grouping together are works whose viewpoints, whose, whose vantage points are near this large meander, either just above it or on the riverside right by it, and then looking off at certain perspectives of the Catskill High, high Peaks. And what I'm arguing here is that they do form a, they are a sequence and in a certain way, I argue, a series. Not like Cole's allegorical series, like The Voyage of Life or The Course of Empire, which are driven by narrative, but of a different kind. And that's what I try to work out. What kind of series is this? And, and just to say this along the way, Tyler, I, I do find narratives in these paintings. I think there are very important narrative elements within all these works, but they're in some ways disguised narratives or foreshortened narratives would be a way to say it. So so that's the first way of talking about the paintings from the 1840s, that I do see them as continuous with all of the others, going all the way back to the two painted during the 1820s. Cole's career, as you know, is, is nicely punctuated by his two European tours. At the end of the 1820s, he goes to Europe for three and a half years, and then the 1830s becomes a very distinctive decade of tremendous achievement for him. You know, his great allegories, The Course of Empire and The Voyage of Life, which he begins in 1839, and the Oxbow, and, and so on and so forth. And then in early, the early 1840s, Cole goes off on his second and last European tour, which lasts only a year, 1841-42. Just before he goes off on that tour, he completes a Catskill Creek painting. This one is called Sun Sunset in the Catskills. It's a, it's a beautiful work. It's actually now set half a mile upriver from the ones that he, he completed during the early 1830s. He's now 
up at a further, the far turn of this large meander that I've been talking about. And he's very near a, colonial, a stone colonial farmhouse, the Van Vechten estate that was built in 1690, and which, which clearly was for Cole the symbol of a vanishing rural order that he identified with the Dutch settlers. No question about it. And, and uh, it appears, this house appears in, in a number of these works. In this particular work, it's within view, except we don't see it. It's hidden. It seems to be hidden by trees. And the Van Vechten mill had a house, had a mill right on the shore. So in this painting, Cole's right there. And he's also, by the way, right by the railroad bridge that crossed over at this point. And, and I'm going to be talking now about the railroad. It's a very important element in these works of the 1840s as we go along here, because it's just an essential part of the story of these, of these final works. In any case, Cole's, Cole's uh, standing here, and it turns out, I'm, the painting has a strange, the vantage point of this painting has a strange elevated position for Cole. And in the Detroit archive, I discovered a sketch that I'm sure lies somewhere behind this painting, and Cole actually titled it From the Railroad Bridge Near Catskill. And it's exactly the same perspective. In this sketch, you see a structure, and it's clearly the Van Vechten Mill. In the completed painting, you, you seem not to see it at all. You're looking upriver, you're looking at a dam, you're looking at rapids, and you're actually looking straight at what appears to be the end of the water, which is with the confluence of Catterskill Creek coming down out of the mountains from the left and Catskill Creek coming down from the mountains on the right. So in any case, what happened here? This is where I found a very interesting photograph taken in 1895 of exactly the same scene from a railroad bridge that replaced the one that Cole was standing on many years later. And sure enough, obvious to see is the Van Vechten Mill. Three stories of it, a very ungainly structure, was still standing there 130 years after it was built. And what it's clear when you look at this now, you can see that Cole is in some ways masking these structures and why. And I, I try to speculate about that in the book. So he completes that in 1841, shortly before he goes to Europe. He goes to Europe for one year. Strange to say, while he's abroad, he completes another Catskill campaign in Rome. And it's a very beautiful work called Settler's Home in the Catskills, which is in a private collection and has hardly ever been seen by anybody. It's in our show, and it's it's really gorgeous. I, I've been on the trail of this painting for many years. I was aware of it only because of a black and white photograph in an older book. And I began to try to track it then, and I was able to track it back as far as the last New York gallery that sold it. Finally, I was able to find it and get a good image of it for the book, and we now have it for the show. It's a beautiful work, and there's all kinds of things to say about it. It, it shows a Dutch colonial farmhouse with a, with a half-moon weather vane. It shows the same peaks that appear in the other works, that same double dolphin fin shape of Catterskill High Peak and Round Top. There they all are. But when I had my cartographer try to locate the vantage point, he just threw up his hands. <laughs> and the reason you, you can find all the elements of this landscape in this painting, but you cannot find a viewpoint from which it could be seen this way. And that's because he painted from memory in Rome, Italy. And the reason I figured that out is I had seen a sketch in the New York Historical Society, which unmistakably was the sketch for this painting. And this sketch called titled Roma 1844 to my friend 
Thomas Rossiter, who was one of Cole's fellow artists in Rome that year. So there are all kinds of interesting things to say about that. This is the most idealized of the Catskill Creek painting. Here, there's no sign of tannery smoke, as there is in almost all the others. Even going all the way back to that first one in 1827, there is tannery smoke on the intermediate horizon line. And uh, here, it's gone. So all signs of defacement by industrial intrusion are gone here. And, and I think it, with the title Settler's Home in the Catskill, Cole means to suggest that this could be a colonial scene and that what he's done here is transport us back into the, into the colonial past. So that's the next work in the 1840s. And then finally, he comes back in 1842 in the, in the summer. In, in August of, of 1842, he returns home to, to Catskill, to which he had moved in 1836. And um, he begins to work on this work that I've already referred to, River in the Catskills. Uh, this is in Boston, and it's a fascinating painting. It's the second largest of all of them behind the big metropolitan work. And here, one scholar has, has argued that it is, quote, the first important painting in the history of art to depict a railroad train. Okay, for sure it does. And down in the valley, there it is crossing a wooden railroad bridge. There's the locomotive mostly hidden by the bridge, but the smokestack visible and the smoke and the cars trailing behind it. And then off to the right on the other side of Catskill Creek, are the Van Vechten farmhouse, fully exposed by Cole, by the way, for the first time in this painting. In other paintings, it's sort of shrouded or masked, and the mill as well is very prominently there. For many, many years, this painting was regarded as, as representing a kind of a reconciliation of what might, was called the machine and the garden this idea that there are a number of artworks in the 19th century, especially antebellum painting and other forms of art, that are essentially trying to reconcile one American mythology, that is a Jeffersonian dream of an agrarian present and future for the country. Jefferson's notion that the United States would import industrial goods and would always be essentially agrarian, a country of, of, of noble, well-educated yeoman farmers on the one side, and then the necessary industrial development that was the other, not dream, but the other future that everybody was beginning to be aware of. And there are a number of paintings by other artists that I think very clearly can be read that way. And this work was too. Here's this tiny little toy-like railroad train chugging through the distant countryside. It was regarded that way for, through the 1960s and 1970s. And then long, along came my friend Alan Wallach, who sort of challenged that one in a very severe way. And I, I think he's absolutely right. This is a painting that is not about reconciling those views. This is a painting that is uh, expressing Cole's rage about industrialization in the only way that was available to him in, in that period. If he'd lived another generation later, he might have you know, done this in a completely different fashion. But the giveaway are these two huge stumps in the immediate foreground with this man with an ax by his side. I think once you begin to read the painting this way, it, it becomes inevitable that you begin to understand it that way. One of the things I do in the book is, is I try to see, in some way or another, all of the works of the 1840s in relation to the threat of industrialization and specifically 
of the railroad, which, by the way, there's, there's an anecdote from an old newspaper that I quote in the book. And the owner of the Van Vechten farmhouse, the old 1690 farmhouse, was still owned by the Van Vechten family in, when Cole, in Cole's time. John Van Vechten was the owner then. There's a news, newspaper report where his John Van Vechten's son, Peter, is quoted in an interview where he reports having witnessed his father's discussion with the building of the railroad in 1836, the chief engineer, and they were discussing and debating about where the railroad would go, and they were proposing different routings of the railroad line. So they proposed between the old house and its barn, and that gets rejected. And then Peter Van Vechten says, then the engineer said to my father, quote, I will run this railroad train right through your house if I want to. And so, obviously, this was incredibly charged, and to the degree that Cole himself would have known about an episode like that, it certainly would have fueled his his anger. Where the railroad went, by the way, they ran it right around the southwest corner of that old stone house within feet of it. It almost destroyed the foundation. And when I finally got to look at this property a couple of years ago with the present owner, the house has been beautifully restored, by the way. The owner today is still having to shore up that southeast corner. <laughs> the great berm that was created to run the tracks from, from the bridge to the house and around it and then northward again to make another crossing of the river farther north. That great berm is still standing there, this great rectangular berm. Cole had plenty to be angry about, and in this painting, I firmly believe he is giving expression to his anger. And then finally, two years later, Cole completes what I believe is the last of the Catskill Creek paintings. It has a very prosaic title. It's called Catskill Creek NY. (laughs) And yet, I believe there's a lot more going on in this painting than this. This painting is also set up near the Van Vechten house. And again, you can't see it. Cole has rather hidden it in the landscape, but in a different way. There are symbolic elements all over the place. On the far left, there's a recently hewn tree, which is down to the left, which was the, the path of the railroad train. So it's actually a pretty pretty immediate and direct symbol of the process that, that led to the construction of the railroad line in which destroyed three great groves of forest that Cole lamented in many poems, one actually titled The Lament of the Forest. It's true that Cole was furious about this and deeply saddened by it. And I begin my book, by the way, in the prologue with a passage from his journal in which he talks about this, his anger and his sadness about uh, what has happened to his beloved scene. In any case, in this final Catskill Creek painting. Here, all of that process gets represented in a somewhat different way. And, and there's a, another a number of things to say about it. For the first time in the whole Catskill Creek series, the rower, who actually is represented in every single work from the 1830s paintings on, from 1833 onward, for the only time in the series, he's not at midstream or floating on the river. He has reached its shore. There he is. He's pulling the boat ashore, and just and he's this time for the only time he's come ashore with a companion who's standing several feet away from him behind a great boulder and pointing at something above him. The way in which this figure has been interpreted uh, earlier is the point. The figure is supposed to be pointing at the quote, pointing toward the the primeval wilderness. So so again, the the, the work is regarded as representing this polarity and call between the wild and the beautiful and the wilderness and the cultivated and so on. I actually don't think that's right. I think. If you look carefully into the the right middle ground of this painting, what you will find there 
is a beautiful meadow. It's just you get a glimpse of it. And in the meadow is a white oak with long horizontal limbs that could only have matured on pasture land. And I think this is the same space as you find in Settler's Home in the Catskills, where that I, that scene is broadened into the whole painting. I think that painting that Ro Cole did in Rome is a kind of dilation of this vision of a of a settled space, which I think was just as important to Cole as the wild was. And I mean that that's something that I actually I talk about in the book, and I actually don't make the point as strongly as I would make it now. As a matter of fact, that I think the wild was very important to Cole. I think that's true. On the other hand, the idea of a settled space is equally, if not as important to him in other kinds of ways. In the Boston painting, the painting with the railroad, um, the forests are substantially gone. The, the forests have been cut down and eliminated, and, and that's, a, that's a crucial part of that painting. In all of these 1840s paintings, you know, which you mentioned were painted at remove and somewhat imagined, the reflections in Catskill Creek, the, the, the reflections of the distant mountains are obviously impossible, which really kind of ramps up the sentimentalism of, of the paintings. Cole uses reflection unlike any other American painter of the 19th century. For, for I think for other American painters, their use of reflection comes right out of Emerson and nature. For, for Cole, it comes out of his experience of, I, I imagine, Italian painting. And finally, the last thing I wanted to pull out was that you, you write in the book that Cole uses the Catskill Creek landscape and landscapes, the landscape itself and his paintings of them, as, as expressing and addressing a national issue and, and progression. And probably cute listeners will have noticed that we've talked about rivers, which was the first way America moved west, then the Erie Canal, which was the next way, and then the Erie Canal was itself supplanted by, by railroads, which we which you have brought us around to here in the mid-1840s. Oh, and one other thing to pull out. Uh, you've mentioned Cole's sketchbooks in Detroit a number of times. It's worth noting that the Detroit Institute of Arts has Cole's surviving sketchbooks, and they've digitized most, maybe all of them, and they are a, a, a tremendous resource. Did I leave anything out of that that, 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 that connective tissue? <laughs> That was great. And you're certainly so right about the reflections. The reflections are, are astonishing and beautiful. I think they partly work toward a kind of doubling in the paintings. I, I, I think a kind of amplification, I think, of certain uh, values. And, and they, are, they are gorgeous and very, very interesting. In the river in the Catskills, the one with the railroad train, in which I think it's true that Cole is expressing his anger, that is the one Catskill Creek painting which does not show reflections. It's a, it's a noonday sun, and there are no reflections of the mountains. The mountains were clearly regarded by Cole as a spiritual realm. That's how he saw them. In that one, they're gone. Marvelous. Dan Peck, thank you so much. Well, thank you, Tyler. It's been a pleasure. That's all for this week's show. The Modern Art Notes podcast is edited by Wilson Butterworth. Special thanks to Steve Roden, who created the sound for the program. The Modern Art Notes podcast is released under a Creative Commons license. Please visit Modern Art Notes for more information. Thanks for listening.